In America, every so often we'll hear a story of cattle mutilation. But in India, a mysterious creature is causing widespread panic as it massacres their livestock. And then we travel to the apartment of a preteen boy who's having a hard time dealing with his drunk father. Whenever dad has a couple of drinks in him, he becomes mean. But one night, things got violent. And that's when the boy saw something else. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so let's get started right away. First off, riding a motorcycle into Dead Rabbit Command to give it up for Kent Allard. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! <laughs> do donuts, do donuts around in that motorcycle, and then clean up, clean up the mess. Got to wipe off those skid marks from the Dead Rabbit Radio Command floor. Kent Allard is a guy who I've had in my notes to say a thanks to for a long time, and it's possible I already did this. I just want to cover my basis. The reason why Kent Allard is the dude who's going to be flying our vehicles this episode. A long time ago on an episode, I said there was a story that I had read like in the mid-2000s. I didn't know if it was Creepypasta. I didn't know what Creepypasta really was at the time. It was written as a series of blog posts. Is and I, I really I gave him the most vague information, but I didn't give it just him. I said it on the podcast with the most vague info possible, and he found it. He was able to find the name of the story I was looking for. It's called True Immortals. And when he sent it over, I took a look at it and I go, whoa, awesome. And I still haven't had time to reread it. I don't know how much of it. I mean, he sent it to me like three years ago. I don't even know if he still listens to the show, but it was so cool that he could track that down. I was really, really impressed. It was a really cool story um, about hidden immortals living in our world. And at the time, the I had never really read any online media that was written in that fashion. It most likely, the thing that I remember the most is there was a jester who became part of the group and he was a bad guy. Probably should have trust people wearing clown makeup. We want to help you investigate secret societies. I remember there was a girl on a motorcycle riding a motorcycle through a cornfield because she wanted to get to a nuclear silo and inside of it was... Franklin Delano Roosevelt in a wheelchair. But he was still alive. <laughs> this story didn't take place in the 40s. It took place in the 2000s. <laughs> Jason, are you saying you, you thought that story might be true? I you know what, man? We cover so much crazy stuff. <laughs> we cover so much crazy stuff on this podcast. Who knows? But Ken, I wanted to give you a shout out for finding that for me. I don't know if I ever publicly thanked you. So this time I can remove you from my thank you list. It's literally been on here for three years. I'm always impressed by you guys. I just threw the most vague description. Kent was able to find that. So, Kent, you're going to be our captain or pilot this episode. I eventually will get around to reading it. It may not hold up well. It may be absolutely trash. I'll see if I can find the link he sent me. I should be able to. He emailed it to me. I'll put it in the show notes. Maybe you guys can take a look at it, too. Kent, let's go ahead and start off by tossing you the 
oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to row, row, row our way out of Dead Rabbit Command and head all the way out to India. Splash. Oh, splash. Oh, splash. Rowing all the way across the ocean. Here's a weird story that's going to take tons of twists and turns. Even though it starts off fairly mundane. I mean, it does involve a bunch of livestock being brutally slaughtered. But even that's a mundane start for where we're going to end this story. We're headed out to India. Specifically, we're headed out to Gunadola. That's in the Kuttak district of India. It's March 12th, 2023. So fairly recent story. In the city of Gondola, a farmer walks out of his house one morning and he's like, oh, yes, oh, look at all the beautiful chickens. I'm looking just at the chicken pen. Cluck, 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 cluck. And then he goes, and now I'm going to look here where my peaches are growing. I'm going to eat one of those. Nom, nom, nom. Oh, delicious, delicious peach. And now I will turn my gaze to where <laughs> my prize possession is, my beautiful sheep. I love my sheep so much. He turns his head and he sees the sheep, they're bawn, right? Bah, bah. And he's like, oh, that's exactly what I expected to see. A bunch of a bunch of living sheep that are in one piece. They're not ripped to shreds. But as his sheep are slowly kind of walking around, bah, bah, he sees in his sheep pen blood. A bunch of blood everywhere. <laughs> he probably should have seen that seeping through the soil. He probably could have seen that right away. He's like, ah, blood. And he goes over into a sheep pen and sure enough, 20 of his sheep had been slaughtered in the middle of the night. In America, we have the idea of the cattle mutilations or the cows are, some people believe it's saint worshippers, some people believe it's UFOs, some people believe it's the government. Could be all three, right? <laughs> Nowadays, who knows? Could be all three in league with each other. We don't know. But the notable thing about cattle mutilations is all the soft organs are gone, like the eyeballs and the tongue. And terminology is very important when you're talking about stuff like this. When you read articles, they'll say almost completely drained of blood, which is a big difference between completely drained of blood. Huge difference. I would also argue that most farmers, they go, ah, my cow's dead and its eyeballs and tongues are gone and I don't see any blood on the ground. It must not have any blood in it. I don't think they're doing an autopsy right there. I'm not saying that all cattle mutilations are natural causes. I think some are a bizarre phenomenon and some aren't. Big difference, though, between completely drained of blood and drained of blood. Just like you can say, man, I'm starving because you haven't eaten today versus I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm starved to death. I'm a tiny little skeleton man dead in my living room. There's a big difference between the two. Anyways. That's not what's going on in India. These 20 sheep were completely disemboweled. Their intestines are hanging out. They're dead. Lots of blood. Lots of blood. Lots of gore. The farmer's like, no! These are my favorite sheep. <laughs> these, specifically, these 20 were my favorite sheep. He's mourning over his 20 sheep. Brutally mauled. So you go, well, Jason, then that's actually, like, less mysterious than a cattle mutilation. Because with cattle mutilation, possibly completely drained of blood or just drained a little bit of blood or whatever. We don't know what's causing that. This is just a predator. Well, the yeah, you're right. But most of the time, predators aren't going to be like, ah, oh, yes, I hunger. I'm walking through the wilderness. Mmm, delicious sheep. But <laughs> instead of eating them, I will just rip them open. I'm not going to eat any of the intestines. I just want to see them squirm. 
whatever's doing this thing isn't eating them, oddly enough. And on the next day, March 13th, a different farm in the same area, another farmer wakes up. He's like, oh man, I heard what happened to that guy down the street. That sucked. Now it is time for me to look at my totally alive sheep. He walks in a his sheep pen. Nine of his sheep had been gutted. But this time, witnesses actually saw what was doing this. It was reportedly a black shadow. That was the description of it. A black shadow moving around the sheep pen. It killed nine sheep. It injured ten more. They didn't die in the attack. And dogs are trying to get out this thing. I don't think this guy woke up in the morning. This guy most likely woke up in the middle of the night when this attack was going on. A black shadow is what was seen. So you're like, Jason, you know, <laughs> animals, bears, and wolves also have shadows. That's the way light works. Again, didn't eat any of them. Didn't get a quick nibble in. Um, we don't know what's doing this. If they are using their teeth at all, it was just to rip them open and then moving on to the next one. So it's not a predator. It's not the predator because he only kills that which is worthy to die. Not even something like a chupacabra, which again sucks the blood like it has that feeding instinct when it's attacking livestock. It's not a chupacabra. It's not a predator. Could be a human serial killer. Um, who's trying to work his way up to humans, and he's starting off with our wool-covered friends, the sheep. But here's the thing. I told you what happened on March 12th, March 13th. This has been going on for five years. I came across this story on coasttocoastam.com. It's a website I check every day. It's an awesome, weird news website, obviously. And they mentioned that this had been going on before. I found out back in June 2017, when it happened back then, June, in one month, June 2017, 250 sheep were killed in the area. Not eaten, killed. And then you had had sporadic violence in the area where these sheep were being attacked. But eventually you're like, hey man, do you think we should put this in the newspaper again? Do you think we should warn people? Nah, everyone in town knows about that already. So it's, and especially international, right? They may have been reporting this more and more. I'm sure the farmers were like, please keep putting this in the newspaper because I want to know, has this ended yet? Is it okay? I have all my sheep in my bedroom with me. Is it safe for them to go out into the pen? It's been going on for five years. These sheeps are being killed, but not eaten. Blood's not getting drank. They're just being killed. Well, let's look back because as I continue to look into this story, it takes a weird shift. Kent, let's go ahead and call in the Jason Jalopy. We're going to take a 26-hour drive south of Gunadola and head back in time 27 years as well. We're pulling up to the town of Bandipur. That's in Uttar Pradesh, India. It's August 16th, 1996. There was a girl named Sita Devi. She was a 10-year-old girl and she was hanging out with her 14-year-old brother. She's hanging out with her 14-year-old brother and Sita says, I was talking to my bro and then all of a sudden I saw something running on all four towards both of us. And it's fast. 
It was moving really fast. We didn't have any time to react. And right before it got to us, it suddenly stood up on its hind legs. She described it as a creature, but we don't get any like real facial features. We don't know if this is some sort of man, some sort of beast. The way she, I mean, she's a 10 year old girl and she's about to witness an extremely graphic and horrible crime committed against the family members. The way she described it was this creature was wearing a black coat, a helmet, and a pair of goggles. Can you imagine the police investigators were like, was it a human? Was it a man? <laughs> was it some sort of beast? What? That's all you got? A black coat, a helmet, and goggles? Was it covered in fur? What was it? And I'm sure her only answer was, well, it was running on all four at <laughs> rapid speed, so I don't think it was a human. And I didn't really get that good of a look at it, because the second that it reared up on two legs, it grabbed my brother and threw him over his shoulder. So this, this whatever this was, this creature grabs the brother, picks him up, and throws him across. That'd be a better way to say it. Throws him across the creature's shoulder. So it was like if you were picking up a bag, a heavy bag, and you went, and you threw it over your shoulder, and you kind of lose your footing for a second, and then you find that you're like, I'm good. I'm good. Where do you want this? Like that. Except this guy did it to a human boy, and he did it with such force that when this creature picked up Sita's brother and threw him over its shoulder, it instantly killed her brother. I mean, I don't know if that like snapped his back or his head, like the momentum. Maybe he was just unconscious either. I will say this, Sita never saw her brother again. He went missing. And she goes, he picked him up, threw him over its shoulder, and my brother just went completely limp. And then this creature took off, and I took off in the other direction. I was terrified. Never see my brother again. And this story was published back in 1996. And it says in a footnote of the story, it said since July 1st of that year, so just a month previous in 1996, 33 children in the area had vanished without a trace. And the locals blamed the disappearances on something they called the white wolves, which is a local term for what we know as a werewolf. Which that would definitely track with moving on all fours and then shifting to being human form. I don't know if the wolf form... Also had the helmet and the goggles. That'd be pretty awesome, actually. Uh, We don't know. But that case was going around in 1996. And again, then it just kind of disappeared from the news. So was there any relation between the missing children in 1996 and the sheep slains 26, 27 years later? I mean, who knows? It would be odd if it wasn't. It would be odd if you had werewolves in your area and then you had sheeps getting slaughtered not too far away. It would be super weird if it was two different phenomenon. But who knows? I mean, I would imagine where even werewolves have to eat. I would assume they'd have to eat a lot. I think you would lose a lot of calories shifting your bones around and going through a metamorphosis. I'm sure, I'm sure that really messes with your metabolism. 
But uh, who knows? Maybe they just like terror. Maybe they just like spilling blood. Kent, go ahead and call in that world-famous carpenter copter. Everyone get a nice plate of mutton. We all have really cool, nice wool sweaters. We got it. It's, they're dripping blood. They're dripping blood. But, you know, the farmer needed to make some money from that massacre. Fly us out of India, Kent, and take us all the way out to an apartment complex. We're at this apartment complex, and we're about to meet a young man. Well, he's 12 years old. So not a young man. And he's actually a boy. He's a preteen. He didn't give his real name. We're going to go ahead and call him Bobby. Bobby says, When I was 12 years old, me and my family lived in an apartment complex. We were on the fourth floor of this apartment complex. And my family was me, my mom, my dad, and my big brother. The big problem in our family, I mean, everything seemed to be going pretty well. Except for one thing, and that was my dad. <laughs> and generally, if one of your parents is having a bad time, it's definitely going to trickle down into a child's daily life. He goes, listen, my dad, on the weekends, he would get drunk. Which, whatever, would be one thing. But when he would get drunk, he would become mean. He never physically assaulted us. He would never put his hands on us, ever. But he would just pick fights. He was so belligerent. He would go to Son over the smallest things. He would just be a jerk. And this would last all weekend. He would just drink and be a jerk. And what we had kind of learned to do as a family is just avoid him. During the week, Totally fine, a nice guy to have as a dad. But on the weekends, we just stayed out of his way. So on this particular weekend, my brother left. My brother is old enough that he could drive. He went out to hang out with a couple of his buddies. Bobby's at home. He just says, I'm going to just stay in my room all night. And Bobby's mom did the same thing. I'm just going to stay in my room all night. That's how bad it was. He just didn't want to be around the guy when he was drinking. This night, mom's in her bedroom. Dad's in the living room drinking. Bobby's in his room. Well, what happens on this night is the dad walks into his bedroom, the bedroom he shares with his wife, and starts digging for something starts looking for something and the wife's like what what honey what are you doing and she definitely did not want to interact with him when he's drunk but now he's in the room and he's looking for something and she's getting concerned because what she thinks he's looking for is what he's looking for he pulls out his gun And when the mom asks, honey, why are, why do you have the gun? Dad just says, because I want to. You have a problem with that? And the dad leaves the room and goes back out to the living room. Bobby overhears this. Bobby hears this from his room. He knows his dad has a gun. This is new. 
despite the fact that he's a jerk when he's drinking, again, not a violent drunk, emotionally violent, sure. But now you have a drunk man with a firearm in your house. And one who is prone to picking fights. So because Bobby overheard this and Bobby's concerned, he crosses the hallway and goes into his parents' room and his mom is still sitting there. And he's like, "Mm, I overheard what happened. Dad has a gun. And mom's like, yeah. Yeah, he does have a gun. But don't worry, honey. Don't worry. He's not going to do anything crazy. It's okay. Just go back to your room. Everything will be okay. So Bobby does. Bobby goes back into his bedroom. And just a few moments later, pop, pop, pop. Three gunshots echo through the small apartment. The sound of three gunshots fired in rapid succession. Bobby has no idea what just happened. His first concern is his mother. And he runs into the parents' bedroom And while he's trying to get in, his mother is trying to get out. She wants to check on her husband. She sees that Bobby's okay. Now she wants to know if her husband's okay. And Bobby's like, please don't. Please do not go out into the living room, Mom. And wisely, she decides to stay in the bedroom. You have that snap moment where my husband may be injured. But my son has a possibility of being injured. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to protect my son. She locks the bedroom door. And they call Bobby's brother. Who we'll call Jack. We'll call his older brother Jack. They call Jack and they say, Dad's drunk. And I'm sure Jack's like, yeah, sure, it's Saturday. What else did you expect? They go, and he has a gun. And he just fired off three shots in the apartment. Jack gets home. I don't know how far away he was. Because he gets home pretty quickly. (laughs) He gets home pretty quickly and he walks through the front door. And he sees that his dad is uninjured. His dad is just standing there with the gun. No one's bleeding. No one's been hurt. Jack goes, hey dad, how's it going? You doing okay? You having a good weekend? How's everything going? He walks in and he acts so polite to his father. So nice. To the man that raised him. So kind to the father figure who would belittle Jack while he was drunk. Now Jack is responding with nothing but kindness. And Bobby and the mother can hear Jack and the father talk in the living room. And they can hear Jack being like, oh, yeah, that's that's that. That is true, dad. I've never thought of it that way. You know, I just, you know, hope everything's going okay. You know, I see that you have that gun. And, you know, I just, you know, want to let you know that I love you. And. They hear this conversation, and then Jack says, Hey, Dad, um, you should give me the gun. You should hand me the gun, Dad. And somehow Jack is able to peacefully get the gun from his father. And once Jack does have the firearm... He savagely attacks his own dad. Begins swinging at him wildly. And taking him down. 
Jack's bigger, stronger, younger. And he's able to overpower his father. He doesn't want to horribly injure him, but of course the rage of knowing that this man just fired three gunshots in a home with your little brother and your mother. He's fighting back just pure animosity. Because he has to balance it with the fact that this is his father. However, he does need to overpower his dad and make sure that no one else is going to be hurt. His father included. Jack is able to overpower his father, pins him to the ground, and is holding him down and is just screaming at his dad. Screaming at him. While his dad is screaming back, let me go, Jack, let me go, let me get up, get off me. At this point, Bobby and the mother run out of the room. The mom is just sobbing. The two men that she loves are fighting on the floor. She's trying to break it up. Bobby is watching this whole thing. He's sobbing. These two men are screaming at each other. There's this physical confrontation going on. You have to wonder at any point, is the dad going to be able to overpower Jack? And then what happens? Is Jack going to finally be pushed too far by his father? And Jack has the firearm. Now what happens? Well, they live in an apartment complex. (laughs) They live in an apartment complex. Multiple gunshots. Screaming, yelling, sounds of a fight. The police are on their way. That's why I figured Jack must have been fairly close. Maybe he was... I said earlier that he drove away. I know he has access to a car. Maybe he was just a couple apartments away because by the time that Jack's on top of the dad and they're screaming at each other, there's sirens wailing in the distance. People were calling the police. It goes, someone's opening fire and I hear a fight next door. Please come quick. So the police are coming out to the area. The cops come in. They break up the fight. They get all the different sides of the story. The police just said, okay, dude, you're coming down with us. You're going to sleep it off in the drunk tank. And then well, you, you get to go back home. You get to go back home. That's the way that it worked for a long time. And by the time this whole process had played out, it's like four in the morning when the dad is finally taken away by the police to just sleep it off at the station. And Jack goes, you know, what? I didn't have a chance to eat any dinner. I kind of got interrupted. I had to save your guys' life and my dad's life. I'm going to go get something to eat. So he goes, I'm going to take the car and I'm going to drive and get something to eat. And the mom and Bobby are like, no, that sounds totally fine. And Bobby said the way that their apartment complex was, remember on the they're on the fourth floor of the apartment complex. So right outside of their door was a walkway, like a porch walkway connected to a set of stairs. So they can stand out on their porch and look down at the parking lot and then they can walk down the stairs and gain access to the parking lot and stuff like that. Very, very typical apartment complex layout. Bobby and the mom walk out of the front door. They're now standing on this balcony walkway leading to the staircase. Jack says, I'm going to go get some food. And he walks down the stairs and he gets in the car and they're standing on this walkway, this exterior walkway, watching Jack get in the car and drive away. 
And after Jack leaves, Mom and Bobby are just standing on this walkway and they're just talking, standing right outside their apartment where they can look into their apartment, but they're just getting a little bit of fresh air standing out here. When at the same time, they both saw the shadows. Bobby said we were standing there and I looked into the apartment complex and I see two, what I can only describe as 3D shadows. These two 3D shadows float by. They float out of the apartment door. They're about six feet tall. Both of them are around six feet tall. And it was a, they were a shadow, but you could also see through them. Six-foot-tall 3D shadows that were translucent. They both float out of the apartment complex. But using the word float, it, it may be giving the wrong impression. Because while they were moving in a floating fashion, Bobby said these things left the apartment so quickly, I felt a gush of air wash over me. And so did my mom. She turns and looks at Bobby. Bobby looks at mom. And the mom goes, Did you just see those two shadows? She also saw the exact same thing. She also felt the gust of air move past her as these things zipped out of their apartment. She grabbed Bobby, ran inside, and locked the door. And she said... Whatever that was, they're gone now. Like, we saw them leave. Whatever that was, they're gone now. And then she prays to Jesus. She prays to Jesus Christ that these things never return. That they are barred from entering this apartment ever again. I don't know what they were, but Jesus, please protect us. Keep them from coming back inside this apartment. Bobby... He saw the phenomenon, he felt the phenomenon, and while his mother is praying to protect this home, to protect this family, Bobby's a skeptic. Bobby really doesn't believe in a lot of this stuff. He doesn't know what it was, he doesn't know how to make sense of it. His mom is a believer in the protection of Christ and the power of the supernatural, but Bobby just, is, his mind's kind of reeling. This shouldn't have happened. This isn't a real thing that happens. But I saw it. I felt it. What was that? Bobby goes, despite the fact that I'm a skeptic, and even to this day, I, I don't really know how to explain what I saw. My dad eventually got out of the drunk tank. And came back home, went to work, and he worked throughout the week, but as the weekend approached, it was drinking time again. And Bobby goes, my dad continued to drink every weekend, but he never picked another fight. When he got drunk, he didn't get angry. 
when he got drunk, we stopped hiding in our rooms. Because after that night, while the father continued to drink on the weekends, he would just sit there in the living room, kicking back beers. But he never again became the angry, bitter, belligerent man he was that night. And all nights previous, he was just a man who enjoyed drinking a few beers on the weekend. His entire demeanor changed the night the shadows left. Interesting story. I, I, I thought this story was super interesting, and I have to admit, it threw me for a bit of a curve when he kept, when he kept drinking at the ending. I honestly thought, because I'm reading it, I read these stories a couple times as I'm processing the notes, but even the first time I was reading it, I go, oh, that'd be interesting if the, the shadows leave and then he's sober after that. No, he's, he still kept drinking, but the anger was gone. He still drank, he still got drunk on the weekends, but he was no longer a total jerk to his family. They didn't live in fear of being yelled at or being made fun of. No. He just sat in the living room and drank beers and slowly but surely they stopped hiding from him on the weekends and he was just a dude who drank. Weird. Totally weird story. Like, I thought that the demons would be connected to the addiction but they weren't. It was almost like, and I mentioned this on a previous episode this week, he, I mean, I mean, if you're only drinking on the weekends, I can't necessarily say it's an addiction. You might just be kicking back stink. You might just be blowing off steam. But if you're, if you're yelling at your family, if you're doing something and it's making you yell at your family, then it's probably not a good thing to do mentally or physically. Because also, we don't know how much he's drinking, but if he's getting, you know, plastered on the weekends, not great for your liver. No, he continued to drink. Just his personality went back to how it was the rest of the week. He slurred his words a little bit more. He was a little bit more relaxed while he was having these beers. But he wasn't the angry, bitter man who his family members were in fear of him. Super weird. Like, what an interesting... Almost like the... The, the the ending you're expecting is that, and then he got sober and he never drank again. But no, he continued to drink. He just wasn't mean. So what were these things? I mean, obviously what we, we, based on what we know of demons and spirits, it would be either a negative spirit or a straight up demon or more than one, right? These things are in this house. They were affecting this man. I mean, you can do a lot of damage if you take out a patriarch or a matriarch of a family, right? If you can, if you have a kid that has a drug problem, that's going to weigh heavy on the siblings and the parents. But if you have a parent with a drug problem or a gambling problem or a porn addiction or something like that, that house is in utter chaos. If you can hit a parent, you can take one of them under your control. You can ruin two, three generations. So I think it was probably demons Probably, or at the very least, malicious spirits of the very most demonic entities that were in this house. And it's interesting that they left. They could have stayed and waited for him to get out of the drunk tank, waited for him to come back home, waited another couple days to the next weekend. But for whatever reason, they left. And they, they really left on their own accord. Nobody knew these things were in here. 
until Bobby and the mother saw them leave. There was no paranormal activity sighted in the house itself. They just saw them leave. I mean, I have no evidence to back this up, but my theory was that they had failed at their job. Maybe someone was supposed to die that night. Maybe the father was supposed to accidentally shoot himself. Maybe he was going to get enraged and shoot his wife. Maybe he was going to shoot Jack. Maybe Jack was going to be so full of anger at his father for the years of just constant bickering every weekend, all weekend long, that he was going to snap and shoot his father. Maybe that was their mission. Someone was supposed to die that night. And they failed. But who knows? Just an odd story. I mean, the idea of these demons, if, if that's what they were, right? That's the put on our conspiracy caps and let's ride this pony. If they were demons, you figure they would be resolute in their mission. They would stay there. They already had their grips in him. They were already turning that house into just a fear factory. Not a paranormal fear factory either. One where you were fearful of your own parent. Your own spouse. But they just left that night. And never came back. There's also the possibility that they left with the father. And attached to somebody else in that drunk tank. All of their plans. All of their goals. They realized it just wasn't going to play out the way that they wanted. And they left this man alone. But followed him down to the police station. And walked and sat in that drunk tank with him. A room full of alcoholics. A room of men barely conscious. As they're sleeping off that night's binge. Behind bars. And these two unseen entities are sitting in that room. Looking at all of the broken souls. They may have failed one mission tonight. But as they see all these other men. Some are sleeping it off. Some are talking to themselves, slurring their words. Some are so inebriated they can't even stand up. They're slumped over on the metal bench. As these two unseen demonic creatures sit in the drunk tank, they realize here they have the pick of the litter. They can follow any of them home. They can cause so much chaos in countless families. While those two demons never re-entered Bobby's apartment, they didn't disappear from this earth. They may not have followed Bobby's father home, but they didn't return to their own abode either. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.